Hello, comic creators. Welcome to the Comics Connection podcast. For all of you who are celebrating Valentine's Day, happy Valentine's Day. For all of you who are angry and bitter and don't celebrate Valentine's Day, never mind, forget it. I didn't say anything. Uh, Andy, how are you doing? Good. I'm good. Thank you, Jamal. Very good. You look, uh, you look good. You look relaxed. I wonder why that is. Well, that's probably because this time yesterday, I was sitting on a balcony overlooking a beach in the Caribbean, and I was drinking rum punch. But now I'm in a much better place because I'm sitting here talking to you about comics, the comic book industry. So let's get started with um, the two stories. We have two major stories that we're going to talk about this week because news and comics does not wait while I am on vacation. The first story we're going to talk about is um, comicsology. And not necessarily comicsology, but what comes next for digital comics in the wake of all of the issues that comicsology's had over the past year and the recent wave of firings that they had as part of Amazon. There's been several articles in the comic book press trying to talk about what's next for digital comics, who's going to actually fill in that space, and what what the next step for digital comics in North America is. Now, for anyone who doesn't realize this, digital comics are actually a much bigger market share, a much bigger trend in Asia, whether you're talking about China, Japan, Korea. There is a major segment of the market in terms of both readers and revenue in digital comics that has not actually materialized in North American comics. Comicsology was the leader in that space. Um, then they were purchased by Amazon, and now they've kind of they seem to be quickly fading into less and less relevance. There was an article, I believe, by in ICV two that talked about two major, well, not major, two potential replacements for comicsology in that space. One being um, Omnibus, which is getting ready to roll out, I believe, in the spring or summer of this year. And the other is that the article mentioned is Global Comics, which is a company that's been around since about 2020 um, and has been steadily growing in terms of both number of titles on platform, readership, and everything like that. Now, Andy, before we get started in talking about Global Comics, I am just going to point out for the sake of transparency that I actually represent Global Comics as their general counsel. And I was the, what was I, direct VP of content for about a year, year and a half before I just represented them directly from a legal side. So I have a very particular perspective on Global Comics, and I think you have a particular perspective on Omnibus. So let's talk about it in relation. So, you know, because okay. I've dealt with, with Chris and, and, uh, and uh, the guys over over Google Comics too. So Great. I have a perspective on both. Okay. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about it from a before we get into the individual um, companies. Let's talk about it from the perspective of, especially since you are a publisher, um, and you are someone who is actually consuming comics. What is it that you think you are looking for in a digital comics platform as a publisher? that comiXology may or may not have been provided? 
So some of what I would really like to see as a publisher, Comixology was not providing in great detail. Some of them they were, but I'm looking for um, the the quality of the the app or right or the display, right? Like I want to make sure that the reading experience is good. Like that's that's got to be there. Um, uh, I as a publisher, like what my real goals are: some revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, if there's marketing value to being on that platform, a lot of people go to that platform with more eyeballs on our stuff. And I think that's great too. So those are sort of the two kind of more tangible things. And then the last thing that I'd like to get is I'd like to get data, um, which is something that like global comics is really great on that. Like mm-hmm. as a publisher, if my stuff is on global comics, the, the amount of data that I am able to get from Global Comics is really phenomenal. Like I can see how many pages they read, what page the bulk of the reading, you know, if they stop reading halfway through the comic, and it's like every time it's at page 12, I can go look at page 12 and go, what happened on page 12? Like why, why are we losing? It really is granular, which is great. And also from, you know, I'm not a super tech person also can be a little bit like there's too much (laughs) but i'd rather have too much and have to sift through it than the opposite of you know being totally blind as they're like i don't know who's looking at it i don't know when they're leaving or you know why they're subscribing so those are really the four things as a publisher that i am that i am most interested in um you know and then mix up in that is combination of you know, current readers that are converting over to reading digitally, new readers, like all of that is always like every publisher, everything they're doing is looking for new readers and and older readers that are expanding. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in terms of comparing something like um, global comics to something like Omnibus, what are you seeing from Omnibus so far? Well, at CEX, I'll be honest here. uh, Don Roberts is part of CEX, and he he was one of the founders of Comicsology. So when it comes to the digital side of things, whether it's marketing or sales or reading experience or any of that sort of stuff, I really am going to defer to him because I'd be hard pressed to find anybody that's more of an expert on this than he is. Absolutely, um, very fortunate to be working with him. Um, and you know, for for me, the the thing that I'm just not a big fan of the sort of the Netflix model for comics. Mm-hmm. Um, every publisher that I've talked to that that is in any of those sorts of sort of platforms where it's like more or less pay one fee or then whatever is that is that there's a, there's the revenue from that is so tiny because it's such a small piece of whatever that fee is that um, that it's, it's not even worth talking about really. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the two kind of big things that I'm looking for. Like, and I want people to feel, you know, like they've got some skin in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm, you know, I don't mind running a sale. Like maybe we we sell a comic for ninety nine cents or whatever to to you know or twenty five cents to get people interested because they think they're going to be interested in it. I mean, that shows that I have skin in the game, right? Like I'm I'm really putting some effort behind it. I'm not even trying to make money on it. I think you're going to love it. And I kind of feel the same way about about readers. Maybe that makes me old school, but I kind of feel like 
yeah, you want to, you know, we need to be putting out, I'll put it this way, so it's not like kind of on the readers. As a publisher, I need to be putting out content that convinces you to put some money down, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's challenging. So, and um, and I think it's, but I think it's, I think it's an important goal to have. Uh, when I was an editor at Marvel, we had certain sales goals, right? And and one of the things that Marvel did that I thought was really interesting, and it affected whether consciously or unconsciously, it, it had to affect the way that we were putting together our comics, which was Marvel operated under the at the time. I don't know if they still do it this way or not, but at the time, each individual comic book had to be profitable and not just profitable profitable by a certain margin right so in that regard um we you know we weren't looking at the the sales of trade paperback collections later on like that wasn't a factor Mm. um i'm sure somebody over there you know in sales or marketing could overrule a cancellation if they're like hey man this set of this book is selling gangbusters over here like that that would be a conversation, I'm sure they weren't so rigid, but like in the editorial office was like, you have to be selling enough of these to to cross this pretty high bar at the time. And that meant you had to be at a certain level. And that's how I feel about being on as a publisher, I need to be setting the bar high enough that I think I can convince you to spend your whatever it is, four dollars, five dollars, whatever. Mm. Mm. No, and I think that challenge is important. Do you think for just from a digital standpoint that price to the actual consumer is a is going to be a major factor in how these things play out? Because we're in a situation now where comics, digital or print, in many cases, it's the same price, but people don't feel they're getting the same experience. They don't feel they're getting the same value. So they're wondering why would they pay four dollars for a print comic and then still pay four dollars for a digital comic well i think that comes from the idea that that and honestly comics publishers for years have been i'm going back to the 80s honestly comics publishers have been talking about the paper right like Mm -hmm. uh, back back in the day when when your comic was your marvel comic was 75 cents or your dc comic was 75 cents you could get for a while. I remember DC was doing this. I forget what they called it, but it, like DC was really pushing Baxter paper. Like mm-hmm. back in the day, everything was about the Baxter paper. You can get you can get the regular comic, or you can get it on Baxter paper, and you pay fifty cents more for it. So it was seventy five cents to a dollar twenty five because you want. And so they started this whole thing about like, yeah, 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 but we print on nice paper, mm-hmm. and therefore, you know, the, the price needs to keep going up. So you can, as an industry we've been telling people that the paper is this like really significant. Um, and it's not an insignificant cost, but like, it's just really big, you know, factor. Oh yeah. The printing costs are gone. Like that's because no publisher wants to be like, well, we're paying our creators more, you know, like mm-hmm. they don't want that stuff out. It's a lot of things they don't want to say that are actual costs. But the reality is, is that the cost, you know, uh, for the publishers in most cases is, is, you know, printing is a, is a cost, but putting it up on a digital platform. And now, you know, essentially around what I'm paying for printing, it, I am now paying the digital platform to, mm-hmm. to carry it. And channel fees, and it's a different economic model, but ultimately you wind up with about the same money coming back to the publisher at full price. 
Mm-hmm. And that's a reality that a lot of consumers, I think, don't understand or know or frankly care about because at the end of the day, the consumer isn't in the, well, I want the publisher or the creators to get the same amount of money no matter what. They're really in the business of, I want the comic that I want. And if the reader, consumer feels that there's more value to the physical object, Mm-hmm. Then that's then that's the reality, right? I mean, the reality is things have value when we collectively decide they have value. Mm-hmm. So if the readers don't feel that it has the same value, then then I guess it doesn't. Despite the fact that the back end economics really kind of should would indicate that it would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what do you think? And I think this is the last piece of this that we're going to discuss before we move on to our next big story. What do you think the, if there's going to be a replacement to comiXology, if there's going to be a company that kind of ignites the digital comics distribution model in terms of Western comics, what does that, would that company need to do? And do you think there's a company out there that's doing those things now that is well positioned to kind of make that step, take that leap. Yeah, I think the, I think the biggest thing that they're going to try to do in Global Comics and uh, Omnibus, you know, you know, Chris at Global and then Kenny and Travis at Omnibus, I think are both trying to do it, uh, which is you, that platform needs to get the books that are going to bring the most people to the platform. Mm-hmm. You know, assuming a, you know, both platforms I think are good. Like they're they're designed by good people, designed by people who care about comics. Like, like both platforms are good. So, but what they're both trying to do is they're trying to get, you know, Boom, Valiant, Dynamite, Dark Horse. Like they're trying to get all all that stuff because that's that's the content that's going to bring the biggest number of people. And I'm saying that specifically, not saying Marvel or DC because both of them have their own platform, and I think are highly unlikely to come to a platform. Which makes becoming the next comicsology, quote unquote, a really, a really difficult prospect to, to think that that's even really in the realm of possibility. Because at one point, comicsology had every major publisher Marvel, DC, Image, Boom, Dark Horse, IDW, Dynamite, you name it. They were everybody there. There was one place that you would go if you liked North American comics mm-hmm. and wanted them digitally, you went to comicsology. That's just not the case anymore. There are plenty of Marvel zombies out there. There are plenty of just DC fans. And if you're one of those, then you've got your Marvel subscription or you've got your DC subscription and you don't really need anything else. Mm. Uh, you know, I have been, you know, recently I've been reading the Blade Runner series that Titan puts out. I dig it. I don't really care if I read it in print or digitally in fact. I think I'm almost all of it digitally. But because I wanted to read Blade Runner, I went to where I could get those comics digitally. Um, so, you know, those are the types of things that are going to bring bigger numbers of people, not that Blade Runners can bring tons and tons of people, but I hadn't really read much in the way of Titan comics prior to that. Once mm-hmm. I got into Blade Runner, then I started going, hey, they did a really nice job with that. What else you got? Yeah. Right. And that's how you're gonna that's how you're gonna capture them. So I think it's a really tall order to replace, but but both of the companies that we've been talking about are going after those publishers that have the licenses or have the, you know, the things that are going to bring 
you know, the bigger number of people. And there's going to be a, a minimum critical mass, like any other company. There are face fees, like there's the overhead, there's 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 all that kind of stuff. You've got to be bringing in enough revenue to cover that, plus hopefully more, right? I mean, that's that's how that's how making money works. Uh, <laughs> Well, let me actually touch on one thing that I I think you said that's really important that these platforms, whoever's going to try to do this, needs to actually take a page from um, streaming television, streaming film, is that nobody actually, at least from my perspective, nobody signs up for a platform because the platform is there. They sign up to the platform because there's particular content that they want to read, like you said, with Titan and Blade Runner. They couldn't get anywhere else. So like the fact that all of these these companies are trying to get, you know, your valiance, your booms, your dynamites. But the problem is a lot of those companies will put their books on all the digital platform just to see what sticks. So then there's no unique. There's no unique singularity for any digital platform that says, oh, I need to get this. If, and this could be a segue into our next story, if one of these companies got the exclusive digital rights to, you know, huge Kickstarter releases after the Kickstarter that were exclusive, you can only read them if you actually go on Global Comics or Omnibus, then a lot of people especially people who may not necessarily read digital comics or go to comic shops on a regular basis would go to those platforms to say, Hey, I want to read this book. And once they read that book, they would go because it's, you know, they've got that all you can eat model. They read other stuff and that would actually grow the platform in the same way that your HBO max does it with game of Thrones and your Netflix does it with squid game. You have to have something that no one else has and then you can actually drive more traffic you can get more people to read. If you go with the, well, we want to try to be the next comicsology, just have everything. Like you said, it's going to be almost impossible to do because A, you can't get everything. And B, if you get everything that everybody else has, then you're no different than anybody else. So what's the point? Yeah. So the differentiating factor right now, you know, is I think, from a consumer standpoint, you know, from for me as a reader, it's just the platform. Is mm-hmm. it any news? Um, do I, you know, do I like reading on, on that device? Do I like that reading experience? Mm-hmm. Because you're right. I mean, if everybody has everything, then what is it that differentiates one platform over another? And I think I think it is likely that we will see. You know, and I kind of went through this when I was at Marvel. There was like Marvel and DC were in these like exclusive talent contract wars. I remember like pretty, those. Yes. It was pretty fascinating. Yes. Um, uh, you know, and um, at one point I targeted Teen Titans for termination by trying to hire all of their creators away. <laughs> exclusive deals. Yes. Uh, it was really fun. Um, and I, and I convinced Marvel that this was a good idea. <laughs> they certainly declared war on like their most popular book at the time. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I could see a version of that being that there are exclusive wars with these platforms going after, you know, some of those publishers and saying, we want you to exclusively be on our platform, which of course means they're either going to have to pay something up front or they're going to have to get or or whatever. And I could see this you know, being the new baby 
very small baby brother of the streaming wars, you know, is something along. Yes. You know, Netflix has got something coming out each week, practically. That's like, you need to stay here because we've got Glass Onion, we've got Squid Games, and you mentioned mm-hmm. we've got whatever dropping. Um, you know, but they're all doing it. And my wife came in this morning, like, Ted Lasso, season three, coming soon. I'm like, all right, I guess I'm not canceling, canceling Apple TV today. Exactly. They get you. And I think it's kind of the same idea. Have new exclusive content scheduled in intervals that's close enough that you can make sure that people stay. And from an emerging publisher or a you know independent creator standpoint, if you can get that audience and then bring that audience to the platform and say, hey, if you put my book here exclusively, this is what this is the numbers I'll bring in then you justify those special deals or maybe some cash up front or maybe something else because that's what I believe for someone to try to become the preeminent digital comics platform, exclusivity is going to be the key because if you just have what everybody else has, it's not going to work out. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next big story that we were talking about, Kickstarter. Actually, recently, about a week and a half ago, right after our last podcast, announced their um, 2022 numbers. And just like 2021, 2019, 2019, their numbers in terms of the revenue generated, especially in the comic book category, has been going up at a fairly impressive rate. Um, 2023, even though we're in only in the first couple of months, looks like it's going in that same direction. And one of their key stats is, I think, 78% of all comic book Kickstarters are successfully funded. So if you're looking at, you know, what actually constitutes a financial success in the world of comics, Kickstarters having the kind of success that other sectors of the industry are not either the A, they don't have that level of success, or B, they're not telling anyone what level of success they are having, which means they probably don't. Um yeah, the, let me let me. I've got the numbers here. Okay, me, give me the numbers because I don't have the numbers up. Sixty-five percent success rate in the comics category. Oh, sixty-five. Okay, and but the average on Kickstarter is only forty percent. Ah, uh, all right. Okay. okay. So, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot better. Yes. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, one of the things that I think is is sort of interesting, right? So that's that's looking at just projects, the, the number of projects are they successful? But the other way that they look at it too is they also look at it as the dollar, like overall dollar wise, comics aren't that big because other category, you know, your average Kickstarter comics reward I think is like around thirty dollars to thirty five dollars, somewhere mm-hmm. in that range. Whereas like if you're doing a collectible card game, it's like one hundred and fifty dollars. Yes. Or, Something like that. So, so dollar-wise, they're not they're not quite as um, they're not quite as big. But um, but uh, what was I going? Well, yeah. What I'd like to what I'd like to see on sort of the dollars sense is like you know one of these things that has added a lot of dollars to comics Kickstarter are things like Berserker that mm-hmm. we put out. Mm-hmm. You know, and those are big projects by by big publishers. Um, they boom did that massive. It was like four hundred thousand dollar campaign, I think, for um, 
reprinted material mighty morning power that was that went back a couple more mm-hmm. years but like if you've got these publishers coming in and at first for a while there was this like no 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 this isn't for you publishers until publishers started putting out things that people on kickstarter wanted and then they were like well that's okay mm-hmm. uh, you know so I'd, I'd be curious to see like how much projects like that are are skewing those numbers True. a little bit um but if you are just looking at projects you know there aren't that many of those they're huge that monster but there aren't that many of them mm-hmm. yeah so i'd be kind of curious to see that um but yeah i mean I, and i think part of the reason that kickstarter is growing is i think more and more comics creators new and successful ones on, on, on like a more traditional comics making comic publishing route are coming to Kickstarter. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of good reasons for that. I think one of them is that, and we almost talked about this today, maybe we'll talk about this next time, is that some of those companies are pretty rigid in the way and they, and they, they you know, you can feel tied up at those at those companies you can't do what you really want to do because reasons mm-hmm. um and so i think that means that you know while they might like you know writing their batman comic or whatever they want to stretch different muscles and do different things that they can't do in those constraints they need to do them over somewhere else and kickstarter is a good, is a good outlet for them oh absolutely um, I mean, for the one of the one of the things we talk about a lot in the discord and in our weekly sessions is that Kickstarter actually gives emerging and independent creators a way to get their books out of their, you know, out of their head and into the hands of readers without having to deal with a mainstream publisher if they don't want to, at least at first without worrying about, you know, getting an agent, without worrying about kind of sinking production costs and printing costs into something that they may not be able to sell. It's one of these things that now Kickstarter, I think, for a lot of emerging creators, is it's like their theatrical release for a much longer project. Because first they'll release it in Kickstarter, then they'll kind of put it on their own website, Maybe they'll get it into bookstores. Maybe they'll do the direct market. But when they do those other release windows, they're not necessarily worried about, you know, how much they sell covering their production costs because they already did it. Everything else after that could be pure profit. And the thing that I think is interesting now is that the Kickstarter is actually looking for a new comics outreach lead, the person in Kickstarter that kind of oversees and well she doesn't they they do not oversee the the books that are coming out but they help and provide support to all these different creators yes and they are looking the person who is in that position now a young lady by the name of oriana leckert who is part of publishing and comics over at kickstarter is kind of moving more into the publishing space or they need somebody in the comic space. And because so many creators are, you know, have gotten to the level of sophistication with Kickstarter, that it's a fundamental part of their distribution um, scheme. Whoever goes into that position 
may actually have quite a bit of influence, especially in the independent and emerging comic book realm. So my question for you, sir, is as a publisher, well, let me go back a step. How much Kickstarter activity is CEX actually in at this point? We're not in it really at this point. Um, we're we're going to be getting into it, I think, in 2023. Like we're, that's definitely a goal of ours, and we're moving in that direction. Um, you know, it just not to derail the subject. I put my emphasis when starting CEX last year on building really good infrastructure and being able to put out books, actual mm -hmm. books. So we got set up. We we're as a young, we were probably the youngest publisher to be distributed by Lunar um, to get full bookstore distribution worldwide, English language, um, because that's where we put our emphasis. I wanted to make sure that we could function as a publisher. And now that we we're doing that, and we've got our infrastructure, how we how we do the production on the books, getting our contracts on that, ready to go. Like, really important to me that we be good at working with creators good at working with traditional you know publishing model and now we're we're getting more into digital which we're talking about and we're going to be getting more into traps so these are these are these are our areas that we're expanding okay so what would you what would you be looking for from the new kickstarter comics liaison as you're moving into this direction in 2023 um you know the last the last several Comics liaison people that they've had have been, I think, really quite good. Um, they've they've all kind of had their, um, you know, the things that they like that they skew a little this way or they skew a little that way. But I think for the most part, they've all been pretty, you know, open minded. Um, mm -hmm. And to, you know, nobody like comes in as like we really just want to do the horror, right? Mm -hmm. Kickstarter, you know. But I think they're open minded. I think one of the things that I like is that they tend to have a yeah, let's figure it out. Attitude, um, like maybe some sort of comics don't do well traditionally, and they they kind of go like maybe it can here. Mm -hmm. Let's try these things. You know, um, the role of the of the outreach person, is, you know, they've, they've also kind of put different emphasis on parts of the role. So right. some were a little more like willing to like go in and take a look at your campaign real quick and give you. Give you a couple words of advice. Mm -hmm. You know, others were like really much more in the outreach. Like, I want to go to conventions and I want to meet yes. the creators before we've done anything. Right. So there are like different aspects of the job. So as long as whoever comes in, because all of those aspects I think are important, and you can weight them differently and still be doing a really good job. Mm -hmm. So whoever comes in, as long as they understand the importance of those aspects and they keep that open mind and they realize. And this, I think this was really important for me to learn when I first started as an editor was I don't have to work on, or and maybe in the case of the, of the Kickstarter li liaison person, like I don't have to like, you know, get behind only projects I would like. Right. Okay. So my job as an editor was to make comics that appeal to different people. Not every comic I made had to appeal to me. Mm -hmm. So as long as the new Kickstarter person comes in with a, with a similar sort of attitude i think of like okay well that's not for me but it probably has an audience it's probably worth doing let's see what we can figure out and get that on the platform you know you know get that make that a project we love or you know the various little kind of things that mm -hmm. they can do um i think it'll be i think it'll be fine you know um and the other thing is that i think again i think they've been good at this too of, of 
working with people that that don't get their ego wrapped in up in it. Right. Um and uh yeah, I mean, I, I think that's I think that's I, I don't mean to say I think that's it as in my cave job is easy. I don't think <laughs> I don't think it's an easy job. But but yeah, just keeping that level head and and um you know, I do hope that they find somebody that like that has experience in, you know, whether it's, you know, like uh like Oriana King, I think from traditional publishing, right, or somebody that comes in, you know, with a comics background. So that you're you're dealing with somebody that like knows how the sausage is made. Mm-hmm. I think that would be I think that would be nice, but I don't know that that's even necessary. Right. Right. I think I think some if someone comes in with I think what I'm again what I'm think that I'm looking for from a person going into that position is someone who is good at coordinating with other or um let me advising you know creators on coordinating with other aspects of how this business works because crowdfunding as a whole is a whole business and it has a lot of moving parts. And if creators don't really understand how the marketing works for crowdfunding or how to figure out your distribution or how to figure out your pricing or how to figure out all those other things, crowdfunding is a tool that requires understanding a lot of other different steps. And if a person can come in and actually help advise on, you know, letting people understand all those different steps, like you said, going to conventions and having these panels on, you know, all these different aspects. That's one of the things that I think the liaison can can actually provide real value to creators in 2023 and beyond. But one of the things I think the last thing that we want to I want to touch on is you said it's not actually an easy job. And that may be underscored by the fact that since 2020, they're going, they're moving into like their third or fourth comics, you know, liaison, even though the the category itself is actually performing very well. It, do you think that because they've had so many different people coming into that job in a fairly short period of time, that burnout is an issue? Uh, I can only speculate. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I mean, that wouldn't be surprising. I mean, Kickstarter has sort of a reputation for being sort of like young go-getters, right? And right. Uh, I remember being a young go-getter a long time ago, and I absolutely burnt myself out. I burnt mm-hmm. myself out really bad when I was at Marvel. Um, just working all hours of the day and all hours of the night. Um, mm-hmm. Probably more on me than on the company, but um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's definitely a possibility. The other thing too is the, the category keeps growing. So even if you hire the right person or people for the job today, if it keeps growing two years from now, like you kind of need a kind of need another person, or mm-hmm. you need to do the parameters of the job. Um, and that's really more the thing that I'm kind of curious to see if any of that changes. Like in, I think we're starting to see it because if I understand some of the things that Oriana has said publicly, um, I'm not spoken with her um she's not leaving the category altogether she's right. kind of uh, and publishing and now there will be a new comics director coming coming in seemingly i think reporting to her mm-hmm. so 
is so we're not a hundred percent losing all of her work hours just to be replaced by somebody else doing you know the 40 hour work week or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like she'll still be involved. Hopefully that will also help make for a smoother transition. Right. Uh, right. But it wouldn't surprise me if we saw, you know, in another year that there's an assistant director or a second director. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think as the category starts to be, be, continues to like grow, especially with the growth threes it has over the past three or four years, not knowing the internal economics of Kickstarter, it seems to me that it could, it is feasible to actually have a team of comics liaisons as opposed to one or one and a half. Maybe yeah, the, only, the only reason I don't think we've seen that so far, it goes back to that dollar, right? Mm-hmm. The funded percentages is great. The amount of dollars that it's generating for Kickstarter, it might be a little harder for them to say we're going to hire somebody there as opposed to going, hey, this other category generates 10 times as much money. We could use a person there. We're going to hire somebody. You know, if it's a choice between hiring only one person. Mm-hmm. There. But I do think I do think we'll get to a point where you're just going to need to hire more people. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it's not going to be either one of us, so that's fine. No, fortunately, we're both, you know, employed. So that's exactly that's exactly. All right. I think we're going to wrap it up here. Um, if you guys want to be part of the ongoing discussions that we're having about these and a lot of other topics, both on our Discord and on our weekly uh QA sessions and our lessons and our expert interviews. You can join us at Comics Connection. I will leave the link to Comics Connection and the link to both of the stories that we talked about in the show notes. So until next time, have fun with your comic. Andy, thanks a lot. Thanks, Paul. Later. All right, that's it. Um, I I will try to have this edited down and posted by this time tomorrow. Okay, sounds good. And I All sent right. you the, did you get the link to the video from last night? Yes, I did. I will try to have that edited down and uploaded by Friday as we, as I always do. Okay, works for me. All right. Thank you, All sir. Right. Later.